0: Well, thank you brother Henry and uh, I ask my wife Cindy if you'd stand so people know who you are and then she's uh, appreciate her being with me well uh, we both have uh, really enjoyed uh, being here at the San Francisco Bible Church uh, we were here last year and uh, your pastoral staff were just abundantly kind and gracious to us uh, the day after the ministry you folks were so warm and welcoming and I had bragged to people about a great congregation to preach to. They listened well and everything. And then on the day after, uh, your pastoral staff gave us a guided tour of San Francisco. And so I've been bragging about them. I said, that's the only way to see San Francisco. Get people who live there to take you around, show you the places, and uh, take you to some of the neat restaurants and things. And they were just wonderfully gracious hosts. And so I found myself saying to people last year, I hope I get invited back. And... um, so when the invitation came this year, well, it didn't take much time to think about it. We just said, uh, yes, I'm coming. And I find myself already saying to people yesterday, I hope I get invited back again because uh, uh, you folks have been just so wonderful to minister to. And I appreciate your kind uh, comments, but also just the excellent questions. And it's obvious that you're serious about your faith and you really are serious about understanding the scriptures accurately and the good probing questions that have been asked. And uh, So uh, I'm very, very thankful for that and thankful for this opportunity to to minister to you again in this particular service. I'm speaking to you this morning on the subject of how to gain and maintain a clear conscience. This is something that I think every one of us uh, should be able to relate to. The fact is all of us have uh, a past. All of us have a hall of shame. Uh, for some of us, uh, we've cheated on exams. Uh, others have lied on tax returns or expense reports. Uh, some of us have been involved in stealing or theft. Um, a number maybe struggle with pornography. Some struggle with have a past of gossip. Many of us struggle with sinful anger or various forms of sexual sin. Uh, maybe even some have uh, paid for an abortion Maybe some have had an abortion. Uh, and the list could go on and on. The fact is, we all have a past. And uh, <clears throat> this message could be entitled, How to Deal with What is in Your Hall of Shame. With uh, thinking about our past and uh, what uh, God views of it, it leads to the question that we're going to start with, and that is, what is guilt? Uh, <clears throat> The Bible talks about this. Uh, guilt is, first of all, a legal and a judicial term that implies criminal responsibility in the eyes of a court of law, whether that court is human or divine. Or another way of putting it is guilt is liability or culpability to punishment for wrongdoing. Now, if you were to meditate on those definitions for just a moment, a couple of things should stand out to you guilt assumes that somebody in proper authority has set a standard. They've established a standard, and that standard has been violated. So, for example, when the government sets the standard and we violate it, we tend to say people broke the law, or we broke the law. If parents set the standard and children violate it, we tend to say the children disobeyed. If God sets the standard, we tend to say we sinned, or we transgressed but a standard had been set and it had been violated another way of thinking about this is to be reminded that we all have done things by nature and by choice that make us guilty before a holy god for example romans 3:10 says there is none righteous not even one i mean there's none of us that are totally right we all are guilty we've all done things that are wrong Verse 23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Romans six twenty three says that the wages of sin, wages are what you get for what you've done. The wages of sin is death. In other words, what we deserve for our sin is both physical and, and spiritual death. The wages of sin of, is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We've all done things by nature. We all come into the world we're just we're sinners by nature we're just bent toward sin i think one of the evidences of that is that nobody has to teach a child how to lie cheat or steal or beat up on their sibling i mean it's just it's in us we're just bent toward violating god's principles and god's standards now god has given us a conscience to make us aware of our violation of his standard And our conscience is an inner witness to spiritual and moral truth. But the challenge is, is that our knowledge of what is good and right can be distorted by Scripture. Excuse me, to be distorted by sin. That's what uh, Romans chapter 1 points out. For example, Romans chapter 1 verse 21 says that even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. That means that our conscience, which was made us alert to God and to moral truth, was darkened. It was perverted. Later, verse 22 says, professing to be wise, they became fools. Thinking that we were choosing to be so smart that we end up violating God's principles when we think we're wise and we just turn out to be absolutely foolish in doing that. Now, another truth that I hope will stick with you as a result of this message is that guilt has multiple significant price tags. And I want you to see this from the scriptures for yourself. Would you take your Bible and turn with me to Psalm 38? We're going to focus on verses 1 to 18. While you're turning, let me remind you that Psalm 38 was David's testimony of what his life was like after he had lusted for Bathsheba, seduced her, committed adultery with her. Later, when he finds out she's pregnant, he does all kinds of shenanigans to try to cover his sin. When that fails, he conspires to have her husband killed. And Bible scholars tell us that David went for a period of months after that series of sins before he repented. And Psalm 38 is David's testimony of what his life was like when he was living with the weight of guilt. And he talks about the fact that his guilt did things to him physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. This is called one of the psychosomatic psalms. It talks about the impact of sin on our lives. Now, I'm going to give you a bit of a reading assignment. Ladies, I'd like you to read verses 1 to 10. Men, I'd like you to read verses 11 to 18. I'm going to give you 45 seconds, and I want you to read. And at the end of 45 seconds, I'm going to ask for some of you, uh, both ladies and the men, to identify what did you see in the verses you read? What did unresolved guilt do to David? All right, so ladies, verses 1 to 10, fellows, verses 11 to 18, ready, begin. All righty, time. Now, ladies, uh, what I'd like you to do is uh, raise your hand so I can recognize you, then speak in a loud, clear voice. What did you see in the verses you read? What did unresolved guilt do to David in the verses you read? Who will be first? I understand you may not be used to talking to the preacher in the morning service, all right? But I'm a guest, I'm from out of town, I'm from the Midwest. Cut me a little bit of slack here, all right, and help me, okay? So, ladies, uh, what did you see? Sister over here, yes. All right. Stress and anguish, anguish. all right, thank you. Somebody else. Yes. All right, it affected his health. All right, thank you. Somebody else. Yes.: yeah. yeah, Moaning, groaning, loins filled with burning. Maybe one other lady. Yes. felt a heavy burden. All right. good. Thank you. Fellows, what did you see in the verses you read? Yes, sir. Estrangement from, Estrangement from friends. Yes. Somebody else. Yes. Uh, full of he was full of anxiety. Somebody else. Hope in the Lord. Say it again. Hope in the Lord. All right. Hope in the Lord. His uh, spiritual life was affected. Maybe one more. Yes. Say it again. Feels pain. pain. Yes. Yes. All right. Thank you. Um, I've meditated on this passage a bit because this has been a subject of of interest to me. Let me show you how I would outline this. What what I want you to see from this passage, what this passage is screaming to us is that unresolved guilt has significant multiple price tags. Notice what David said in verse two, he talks about internal pain He says, thine arrows have sunk deep into me. In the last part of verse 2, he talks about spiritual pressure. He says, thy hand has pressed down on me. By the way, remember that the next time you hear someone say that they just feel like God is against them. Maybe he is. David said when he was dealing with unresolved guilt, it's just like God was leaning on him. Uh, Notice verse 3, it talks about physical illness. He says, there is no soundness in my flesh because of thine indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. In verse 4, he talks about heavy burdens. He says, my iniquities are gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they weigh too much for me. And in verse 5, he talks about worsening circumstances. He says, my wounds grow foul and fester Because of my folly. In verse 6, he talks about daily sadness. He says, I am bent over and greatly bowed down. I go mourning all day long. In verse 7, he talks about a sense of general weakness. He says, my loins are filled with burning. And there is no soundness in my flesh. And in the first part of verse 8, he talks about a loss of caring. He says, I am benumbed. And badly crushed. Now let's just pause for just a moment. Would you look at the screen? And look at that list. David said this is what he was experiencing as the result of unresolved guilt. Look at that list. In our culture, here in the United States, when people describe themselves like that, they are usually said to be what? Depressed. And I'd say to you folks, I mean, look at that list. If you feel like this or somebody you care about feels like this for the same reason David felt like this, because of unresolved, because of sin and the guilt that comes with it, then listen to me. The latest pill coming down the pike, the latest pharmacological solution or the the latest psychological way of dealing with that. When you feel like this for the same reason David did, it is a very shallow treatment of a very deep problem. And all it will do is camouflage the symptoms. It will not deal with the root issue. Now, I understand that there can be causes of depression other than sin and guilt, But I am suspicious that there's a lot of people today being treated for what's being called depression. When in reality, what they need help on is dealing with their sin and their guilt and the heartache that comes from it. Now, look at that list one more time. Part of what strikes me about Psalm 38, what you see on the screen, this is just the first half. Let's go on. In 8b, he talks about an inward agitation. He says, I groan because of the agitation of my heart. In verse 10, he talks about heart palpitations. He says, my heart throbs, my strength fails me. In verse 10b he he mentions sad eyes he says the light of mine eyes even that has gone far from me in verse 11 he talks about a sense of aloneness he says my loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague and my kinsmen stand afar off in verse 12 he, he talks about feeling threatened he says Those who seek my life lay snares for me, and those who seek to injure me have threatened destruction, and they devise treachery all day long. In verse 17, he speaks about sorrow. He says, my sorrow is continually before me. And in verse 18, he talks about anxiety. Listen to what he says. I am full of anxiety because of my sin. I want to say it to you one more time. This is part of what I hope you'll take away from the service today is the understanding that unresolved guilt has significant multiple price tags. It's a big deal. Now, the good news is uh, God has given us a solution. He's given us a path to deal with our, our guilt and we can gain a clear conscience. So let me talk with you about that. What is God's path to a clear conscience? Well, the path to a clear conscience starts with acknowledging your sin and your guilt to yourself. Acknowledge your sin and your guilt to yourself, or own it is another way of putting it. I'd like you to take your Bibles now and turn with me to the New Testament book of 1 John. And I'd like you to look at 1 John chapter 1, and we're going to focus on verses 5 to 8. 1 John chapter 1. For those of you that are new uh, to the Bible, it's toward the, go east in your Bible and uh, toward the end. 1 John chapter 1. Now, many of you are aware that this book was written to give us the assurance of salvation, to tell us how followers of Jesus Christ can know that when they die, they're going to go to heaven. Would you notice how the book that was designed to give us assurance of salvation, notice how it begins? We start with 1 John 1, verse 5. He writes, This is the message that we've heard from him, and we announce to you that God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So John begins his book that's designed to give us assurance of salvation by stating that one of the ways you can know a person is generally born again is the fact that they admit they sin. They're willing to acknowledge it. They're willing to own it. Now you may think, okay, what's the significance of that? Well, it becomes significant when you compare that perspective to our ancient ancestors. Think about Adam and Eve. Remember Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve had sinned? And remember what the scripture says, that God came walking in the garden into the cool of the day? Remember what Adam and Eve did? Four things. After they sinned, and God comes, they ran, they hid, they sowed fig leaves to cover their tracks... And they blame shifted. And all of us are born into this world with a sinful nature, just bent, we're sinners by nature and later sinners by choice. And all of us come into the world bent on handling our sin in the way our ancient ancestors did. And that is we come into the world just inclined that when we sin, our tendency is to run, hide, sow fig leaves in some way, and blame shift, put it on somebody else or something else, and shift the blame away from ourselves. That's why John is arguing that one of the marks of a person who has been truly born again is that they will admit they have sinned. They will own their sin and their responsibility for it. This tendency to cover our tracks is described in Proverbs 28 verse 13 where the Bible says, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper that's the tendency of our flesh to try to conceal our transgressions to cover uh to cover our tracks so to put it simply if you want to deal with your own guilt the path that leads to a clear conscience starts with you saying i'm a sinner i sinned i did what's wrong i was responsible and you owning it rather than blame shifting and the other things that our, our, our flesh tends to do. Acknowledge your sin and your guilt to yourself. God's path to a clear conscience also involves confessing your sin to God confess your sin to god now if your bible is still open the very next verse from where uh, i stopped reading is verse 9 first john 1 9 many of you uh, have this underlined in your bibles this is a great verse for memorization and meditation the scripture says if we confess our sins now notice it doesn't say if we sin god knows we're going to sin the question is not are you going to sin the question is are you going to confess it If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me talk with you about the definition of that word confess. The word, the Greek word that's translated confess was a combination of a couple of different Greek words. One of them was the word homo, which means one, and the other one was the word legeo, which is a verb that means to speak. You put those words together, homo legeo means to speak one thing. It's translated confess. It has the concept that to confess sin means that you say the same thing about your sin that God in heaven says about it. And if you pay attention to uh, what the Bible says like in the Old Testament, right from the very beginning, you'll discover that that sin was a big deal. That's why Adam and Eve, after their sin, they're expelled from the Garden of Eden, and, and there's various curses that are pronounced on them, some of which we still are dealing with, like every time you pull a weed out of your flower garden or vegetable garden, you're dealing with some of the results of Adam and Eve's sin. But then as you read the Old Testament, you'd notice that there's all these sacrifices, all these these sheep and, and animals that are being sacrificed to God over and over and over again, hundreds of thousands of them, as a way of demonstrating to the nation of Israel and through the scriptures, communicating to me, that dealing with sin requires a blood sacrifice it's a big deal and then you come to the new testament and you read about the lord jesus christ the perfect son of god coming to earth taking on the form and the limitations of a human being and living a perfect life for for 30 33 years and at the end of which he allows wicked men to crucify him on the cross and he dies as the penal substitute as the one who's bearing the penalty for our sinfulness. If he had been just a man, he could have died one man for one man. But he was not. He was the infinite God man. And because of that, he was able to die and pay the penalty for all of our sins and make it possible for God the Father to show mercy to us righteously. Sin's a really big deal. And to confess sin means that we come down hard on it. And I think, uh, you know, the tendency that I see in myself and I see with, with others at times, I think we have a tendency to have what could be called an oops view of sin. Oops, did it again. Oops, did it again. Oops, did it again. And our view of our sin is reflected in our confession of sin. I mean, th- think about the last time you confessed sin. You do that every now and then, don't you? Occasionally get around to that? Well, think about the last time you did it. What did your confession sound like? How hard did you come down on your sin? How hard were you on yourself and grieving over what you'd done to God and so forth? I'll, I'll tell you an incident that made me, an incident that helped me to really start thinking about this subject. In one of my previous jobs, I was the state representative for our fellowship of churches in Indiana. And we had about 123 churches, and I was basically like a pastor to pastors and a consultant to churches. And in that role, I got to speak in different churches across the state and on one particular Sunday morning, I was preaching up in the northern part of the state. And after the service, I uh, was invited to the home of one of the, the prominent uh, leaders. And um, after a while, uh, the husband called us to the table. It's beautifully set. And uh, they'd invited some of their friends from the church over as well. And so we sat down, and the husband says, Well, before we uh, eat, let's uh, pray together. And he prayed and quickly thanked God for his wife and her obvious hard work uh, preparing uh, the meal for us. And he thanked God for the church and how the church had been a blessing to their family. And he thanked God for some of their special friends that are around the table. And he thanked God for uh, my message that morning and asked God to bless it. And he gets right down to the end of his prayer and he says, And Lord, if any of us have sinned since we got up this morning, please forgive us in Jesus' name. Amen. And the words came out so smooth, it's like he said this a thousand times. And Lord, if any of us have sinned since we got up this morning, please forgive us in Jesus' name, amen. And I'm sitting there with my head bowed, and I am stunned. I mean, this guy's a leader in one of our churches. We're a, we're a group of churches that take pride in being good theologians and good students of the scriptures and thinking carefully about theology. And I'm thinking... Does this guy think that by saying those words, he took care of anybody's sin around the table by saying that? I'd say to you, that is an oops view of sin. Just tack something on when you're thanking God for the food. Now, before you think too critically of that guy back in Indiana, let me ask you something one more time. What would your last confession sound like? I have learned, as a counselor, that sometimes people will come to me grappling with guilt. And I've had people say, Randy, I've confessed my sin to God, but I still feel guilty. And with some of those, you know what I've discovered? They haven't confessed. They haven't homo They haven't come down hard on it. They just said some words and moved on. You know, Proverbs talks about this. It says, whoever covers his sin will not prosper. The last part of that verse says, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. You see, a true confession, coming down hard on it, prompts us not just to admit it, but it prompts us to forsake it. Let me, take you, let me just remind you about another psalm. Psalm 51 is another psychosomatic psalm. This one is called the repenter's psalm. And Psalm 51 is David's testimony when he was repenting. And I'll tell you, here's some of the terminology he uses when he finally repents. In verses 1 and 3, he talks about my transgressions. In verses 2 and 4, he talks about my iniquity. In verses 2, 3, and 9, he talks about my sin. And in verse 4, he says, I've done what is evil. And in verse 5, he says, I was brought forth in iniquity. When he says, I was brought forth in iniquity, he's not saying, my mother conceived me out of wedlock. In this chapter where David is coming down hard on his sin and he sings his sinfulness and all of his various nuances. Notice the various words he's using to describe it. He says, my problem with sin is a long-term problem. It goes clear back to when I was born. What you see on the screen right now is homo Coming down hard on our sin. Now, <clears throat> What we're talking about, the confession of sin for unsaved people is what could be called judicial forgiveness. This is what a person must do in order to be truly born again. This is the kind of, uh, the kind of uh, forgiveness and confession that's talked about in Romans 10, 9, and 10. Where the Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. That means for every one of you here, if if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and acknowledge your need, not just for an occasional cleaning from sin. But I mean you, you need to be forgiven of your sinfulness then I want to say to you that forgiveness is available today to you through Jesus Christ. But it is not automatic. You must confess your sin. But many of you here would profess to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, you're in the family. Well, I want to draw your attention to what happens two verses later in the book of 1 John where we were just a moment ago. 1 John 2, 1 and 2 says, My little children... I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins. That is, he paid the price for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Well, what is God's path to a clear clear conscience? It involves you owning responsibility for it, And then you confess it, you acknowledge it, not just to yourself, but you acknowledge it to God and cry out for his forgiveness. The third step in gaining a clear conscience is to confess to appropriate people. Confess to appropriate people. Here's a significant passage of scripture where Jesus Christ is teaching in what's called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And in verses 23 and 24, he says, If therefore you're presenting your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Now let's take that teaching and try to apply it to our current um, culture and circumstances. What this is teaching is a week from today when you're back here in worship or you may be uh, in your travels at another location what he's saying is is if you're in the middle of the worship service and you come to that part where the offering is being taken and we all know how important the offering is right there's not a baptist among us somewhere i mean i was raised in a baptist church i thought the offering's really important The offering is really important, right, folks? All right, thank you. You can relax a little bit there, Pastor. (laughs) What Christ is saying is, if you're in the middle of a worship service, and, I mean, the offering is being taken, the ushers are coming, the plates are being passed, and the offering is important. What Christ is saying is, if in the middle of the offering, as important as that is, you remember that somebody's got something against you, more important than you finishing the offering is you getting up and go get it settled. The followers of Jesus Christ are going to be the kinds of people who are, who are quick to try to resolve interpersonal Conflict. Confess to appropriate people. It's not just that particular passage that talks about this. Think about this uh, passage. James chapter 5 verse 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Now, over the years and uh, the time that I've spent doing biblical counseling, there's been a number of occasions where I needed to send somebody Uh, that I was counseling to go confess their sin, not just to God, but confess it to people that they had sinned against and ask for their forgiveness. And uh, in uh, my early years of counseling, I made the significant mistake of sending somebody to go confess sin, but not teaching them how to do it. And uh, I failed them as their pastor and as a biblical counselor and needed to later seek their forgiveness. So now I've learned that anytime I'm going to send somebody to go confess sin, I teach them to think of saying something like this. God has convicted me of how wrong I was when, and then you name the sin, when I lied to you, when I pushed you, when I stole from you, when I slandered you, whatever it was. God has convicted me of how wrong I was when I, I know I sinned not only against God, but also against you. I've confessed my sin to God and ask his forgiveness. I also want to confess my sin to you and ask your forgiveness. Will you please forgive me? Now think about that paragraph for just a little bit. Most people would say there's three or four things about that paragraph that stands out to them. Number one, Is all of the eyes. That's the owning it. Other people have noticed not only just the eyes, but the total lack of talking about the failures of the other person. Because sometimes when we're going to confess sin to people, the people we're going to confess to, (coughs) uh, they may have some things they need to confess to us too. All right? But you notice, there's a total lack. There's a total focus on oneself and personal responsibility. A lot of people would also talk about the fact that there's that vertical element. Mark it down, folks. Anytime you sin against another person, you know you violated one of God's principles. I do think it's possible for us to sin just against God, but those would be wrong motives, uh, things that would be done totally in private that would only be known to God. And in that case, we confess to God. But anytime we've violated his principles and and we've sinned against individuals, we've certainly sinned against God. And so our confession of sin needs to start with confessing to God, and then it's applied to other people. And the fourth thing that most people pick up on as they meditate on this statement is, look at the last line. Would you please forgive me? You see, this is one of the major differences between how the world handles broken relationships and how Christians are. The world apologizes. The Bible nowhere talks about apologizing. Apologies are for the oops in life. If, for example, uh, you, later today, if you're at a restaurant and, and you are standing in line and you go to move forward and you happen to stumble and bump somebody, well, apologize. Say, hey, I'm sorry. All right? But don't apologize for sin. When it comes to sin, we confess sin and we seek forgiveness. There's a world of difference between those two. And in seeking forgiveness, you want to ask the individual, would you please forgive me? Now, I've observed that oftentimes, even people who've been Christians for a length of time are uh, nervous or awkward when somebody confesses sin to them. And wants to ask for forgiveness. And there's a tendency. That when you confess sin to somebody. Even if they're a long time Christian. There's a tendency that they will deflect the question. Or they'll minimize the issue. So you have to be ready. I advise my counselees. You get ready to ask the question three times if necessary. Three shots on goal. If that's what it takes. Alright. So you may go to confess your sin to somebody. And You may hardly even be done. They're going to say, hey, that's all right, brother. Still love you. It's water over the dam, water under the bridge. Everybody has bad days. You know, Jesus still loves us both. But they won't answer the question. Would you please forgive me? And I've discovered with my counselees that if they only ask once and they don't get a yes or no, they're going to come back and say to me, well, I went and confessed to the person like you told me I needed to, and they didn't say yes or no. What do I do now, counselor? So I've learned there's value that when you're going to confess sin to somebody, you prepare yourself that if necessary, I'll ask the question three times. So you may confess your sin to somebody that you've sinned against and ask their forgiveness and they deflect the question, they minimize the issue, and you may need to say, listen, no, excuse me, I wasn't having a bad day, I was having a sinning day. And I know that what I did was wrong, I've really been convicted about it, I've asked God to forgive me, but I know I sinned against you. Let me just say to you one more time, I know I sinned against you, would you please forgive me? And I have found that if you have to ask up to three times, and you do that humbly, That uh, you'll be able to walk away and say, "Well, I I don't know what else I can do right now." I mean, I was humble. I did admit what I did wrong, and I did ask them to convict me, to forgive me, forgive me, excuse me. Now, before I leave that, let me just make one um, observation. If somebody comes to you and it appears that they're trying to confess sin and seek your forgiveness. And they may not have their statement as tight and precise as what you're seeing on the screen right now, but they're making a, an effort to acknowledge their sin and to ask for your forgiveness. Listen to me, Christians. Answer the question. And the answer when anybody is seeking our forgiveness, the answer from a godly Christian when they ask us to forgive them is what? Yes. Yes absolutely i'll forgive you not because i'm such a wonderful christian but because i know how much i've been forgiven and what you've done against me is just a tiny bit compared to what i've done to god so he's graciously forgiven me yes i will forgive you well let's move on we're talking about the path to a clear conscience it starts with acknowledging your sin to yourself, confessing your sin to God, confessing to appropriate people. And then point D in our outline, you need to make restitution. Make restitution. Let me give you a definition. To make restitution means to repay someone for the loss they experienced because of your sin. To repay someone for the loss they experienced because of your sin. Here are some verses that talk about this. In Luke chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, 18 and 19, this is the passage talking about the prodigal son. And at this point in the story, he has hit bottom, and like so many people, he he sees the light when he feels the heat. Light, life is hard. And it brings him to the point of repentance. And he says, I will get up and I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. At this point, he squandered the money that he had inherited. All he has left at this point is his body. And I think when he's saying to his father, make me as one of your hired men, this is an effort at making restitution because all he has with which to make repayment for the loss that the father experienced at this point is his body. That's why he says, make me as one of your hired men. Here's another passage that talks about this important matter of restitution. In Luke 19, verse 8, the Bible says that Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Now think about what he's saying, folks. He's going to give away half of his possessions and then for the people he's defrauded, he's going to give back four times as much. So think about that. If he's defrauded somebody and he's gained $100 deceitfully, he's going to give back how much? If he's defrauded and he gained $1,000 deceitfully, he's given back how much? If he gained $10,000 deceitfully, he's given back how much? Yeah. Do you know what Christ said to discourage him from doing that? Nothing. Nothing. Restitution, being unwilling to make restitution, I am convinced, is one of the ways that people gain a clear conscience. Let me tell you about uh, an incident that happened that made me th- become much more alert to this subject. Years ago, I had a guy come see me. I'll call him Bob for a name. And uh, the presentation issue was he did not have the assurance of his salvation. So we met. He told me he'd pray to accept Christ about three years ago. Talked about what happened back then. Went over a few things with him. Seemed to help him a lot. I prayed with him. Sent him on his way. Uh, About three or four months later, he made another appointment to come see me. Sat in the same chair. Told me once again he didn't have the assurance of his salvation. So I came at it from another angle theologically. Seemed to help him a lot. Prayed with him. Sent him on his way. Three or four months later, he came again, sat in the same chair, and told me for the third time he did not have the assurance of his salvation. Now I will confess, at this point, I'm frustrated with him, and my frustration prompted me to go in a different angle with him. I remember sitting there looking at him, and I thought, and I said to him, Bob, what have you done in the past for which you still feel guilty? And he said, You mean even if I've confessed it? I said, Even if you confessed it, what have you done in the past for which you still feel guilty? He said, well, there's just two things. I said, tell me about both of them. He said, when I was in high school, I was either probably a junior or senior. One night, a bunch of us guys are out just cruising around. And he said, and just being stupid, he said, a bunch of us guys, we broke into this junkyard or a salvage yard, and we stole a door off of a VW Bug. And I said, how long ago did that happen? He said, I don't know. He said, it was 9, 10, maybe 11 years ago. I said, why does that still bother you? He said, well, every morning when I drive to work, I drive by that junkyard. Every afternoon when I drive home, I drive by that uh, junkyard. So five days a week, two times a day, I'm reminded I was a thief. I said, okay, what's the other one? He said, well, I work for a company that supplies food to high-end restaurants. He said, we have great products. And he said, for several years, um, I stole product from my employer. He said, I haven't stolen anything in the last three years, but prior to that, I had stolen a bunch of product from my employer. And he said, they got signs up everywhere warning employees that if you get caught stealing, you're going to lose your job immediately, be prosecuted to the full extent of the law, and so forth. Every time we have a company meeting, they talk about it. And he says, I haven't stolen anything in the last three years, but that's still weighing on me. So that day, in that session, I did teaching with him much like I've done with you in this particular hour, about how to gain a clear conscience with God and with people. And I told him, you need to go talk to the owner of the junkyard. You need to talk to the president of your company, admit what you've done, and uh, confess your sin. You need to ask for forgiveness, and then you need to make restitution for what you've done that was wrong. And he thought the easiest one to start with would be the owner of the the junkyard. So in the session that day, we wrote up his statement of what he was going to say, like three to five sentences, four to six sentences, and then we practiced. I pretended I was the owner of the junkyard, and he's confessing his sin to me, and we went through it three different times. You know, the first time, is, I'm like warm butter. Second time, I'm all over the place, don't answer his questions. Third time, I tried to be as mean and angry and vituperative and recalcitrant as I could be without sinning against him and uh, to try to give him some practice. And then I said, we got his statement polished up, and I said, Think you're ready? And he said, yes. And I said, okay, let's pray. And I, then I said, get in your car, go do it. And call me when you're done. And about an hour or so later, he called. And, and uh, I had alerted him. Now, when you walk in, the guy working at the counter probably is working for minimum wage. That's not the guy who can can, can forgive you for what you did, you know, in the past. You need to ask for the owner or the owner's key man on the property. And uh, so he said, yeah, I went in. He said, I'm up to the counter. And the guy said, yeah, what do you want? And um, he said, well, I I have a personal issue. I need to talk to the owner. He said, well, the owner is busy. What do you want? He said, well, it's a personal issue, and I have to talk to the owner. And I said, what did the guy do? He said, oh, he shook his head at me. Then he turns around and yells, hey, Mac, some guy out here has got a personal issue with you. (laughs) And, of course, uh, people up and down the counter, they quit their conversation. Everybody's paying attention to what's happening here. So pretty soon Matt comes out and he said, "Yeah, what's on your mind?" and Bob said to him, "Hello, my name is so and so and several years ago when I was in high school, some buddies and I broke into your facility and we stole a door that went off of a goes on a VW bug and about 3 years ago I became a Christian. I'm aware that what I did was wrong and I've come today to confess my sin to you and ask if you'd forgive me and then I want to pay you for the door." I said, what'd the guy do? He said, he just kind of looked at me and then he leaned over and put his chin in his hand and said, say that one more time, would you? So he had to go through the spiel one more time. The guy asked me, said, how long ago was it you did that? And he said, I'm not sure. It's probably nine, 10, might even been 11 years ago. And the guy says, forget it. I just bought this place seven years ago. I didn't even own it then. And he said, no, I can't forget it. That's why I'm here. And he said, when you bought this place, there is one door missing that should have been in the inventory, and I'm one of the guys responsible for it. And I'd like you to forgive me for stealing it and let me make restitution for the door. He had asked the guy three times. He said, finally, the guy says, okay. He said, this is kind of strange. He said, I've never had this happen before. But he said, I think you're, I understand what you're trying to do. He said, all right, if it will make you feel better. Uh, for me to say, I forgive you for stealing that door I've never missed, then I forgive you. Now, do you feel better? And uh, Bob said, yeah, I do. Thank you a lot. Then he said, I'd really like to make restitution for the door. And the guy said, I don't know what doors were selling for back then. Don't know what kind of shape it was in. Just forget He said, no, I can't forget it. I want to pay for the door. And he said, the guy thought a little bit, and he said, listen, I made you feel better when I said I forgive you. You want to make me feel better about that door? I'll tell you what, why don't you just go buy me a case or two of beer. Bob said, I don't think I can do that. (laughs) Would Coke or Pepsi be all right? (laughs) The guy said, Coke, Pepsi, I don't care. If it makes you feel better, make me feel better. And so he went out to the gas station. He buys three or four cases of soda. He brings it back gives it to the guy at the counter. says, here, give it to Mac and tell him that Bob said thank you. I'll never forget when he called me. He said, Pastor, I walked out of that place and I felt like I had wings and I could fly. Because the weight of his guilt was gone. I don't have time to tell you about what happened with his employer, but God was very gracious there. It turned out that the president of his company was a Christian who understood what he was doing. And because Bob came to him voluntarily, and answered questions about how he got the product past security, the man said, I'm going to allow you to keep your job. When ordinarily, I'd fire you on the spot. But because you've come, and you've answered my questions, you get to keep your job. Make repentance. Excuse me, make um, restitution. Well, let's move on. There's a final step. And that is you need to manifest genuine Repentance. Repentance is a change of thinking that leads to a change of behavior. It involves a turning from sin and sinning to God and godliness. It's a change of thinking that leads to a change of behavior. The Bible talks about changing our thinking in 2 Corinthians 10.5 where it says we're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. But the Bible talks not just about changed thinking, it talks about changed behavior. For example, in Romans 6:19, the Bible says that just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Manifest genuine repentance. If there's no changed behavior, then there's in reality no changed thinking repentance involves a change of thinking that leads to a change of behavior so what we've talked about how to gain and maintain a clear conscience means that you acknowledge your sin to yourself you own it you confess your sin to god you confess to appropriate people you make restitution and then you manifest genuine repentance i started by pointing out to us pointing out to you that all of us have a hall of shame We're all guilty before God. We've all sinned against our fellow man. And today I've shown you how you can handle your guilt. Your problem right now is not a lack of information. You know what you should do. The challenge that you're facing is one of obedience and application. And I want to exhort you to obey each part of the outline and rejoice with the Freedom of a clear conscience before God and before man to deal with God and man today, this week, deal with it quickly by God's grace. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will bless the preaching and teaching of your word to bring about a growth and change that will bring honor and glory to you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.